It's actually yeah. hot in here, but I think that's because I was outside in the sun for two hours without a hat on today. Yeah. <laughs> I'm burning up. Yeah, it looked a little toasted. Yeah, I didn't realize the sun was actually coming down like it was. It reminds me of our San Francisco trip. Yeah. And mountain biking. Oh, that's nice. Nice. It was awesome. All right, let's do this. I thing. might have to, like, if I, if I disappear, like, during the recording, it's because I drank uh, two liters of water on my ride. So, you know, yep. I'm just saying, like, I might be flush and <laughs> need to, like, empty. But I think you have to translate that to the empirical system of things because nobody here understands what two liters is. What the f*** are you talking about? It? Two, Nobody knows what a two You've never seen a two liter at the store? How, how many ounces you actually drink, man? You've Come never on. seen a two liter <laughs> Coke? I have, but I don't remember what a two liter is. Nobody buys those things because they lose their fizz after the first day. Like they're, they're complete. You buy yeah. cans or, or, or you don't buy anything. <laughs> the cans are disgusting. <laughs> no, dude. The two they have like a metallic awful. taste. They're, they're the worst. No, it's Joe, glass or what, plastic or nothing. What's better, man? A two liter or or a smaller thing? I like my drinks flat, honestly. Oh, that's disgusting. Sometimes I'll open up a can and I'll put it in the fridge and come back later. You have it, <laughs> but you open it. kind a of off gassed a little bit. That was key. If, I mean, if that's what we got. I mean, you know this is making the episode, right? <laughs> yeah, totally. This is ridiculous. I can't even take it. This needs to be a poll. We need to bring back the poll. <laughs> For one episode, because this is ridiculous. Uh, nobody prefers a two liter. I can't believe it. Uh, yeah, I like it. Uh, my wife gives a hard time. I like it uh, without the bubbles. That's that's awful. I mean, I don't know why you lose the carbonation in it. Like you're not. You're supposed to put the cap back on when you're done. I don't care if you torque that thing down to like yeah. nine million newton meters. <laughs> it's going to lose all its carbonation. I don't know. why. I haven't had that problem. Maybe Do you maybe, drink them too fast. Well, that I yeah. was about to ask. Like, are you like leaving your your two liter around for historic purposes and coming back like ten years later and like <laughs> I'm talking oh, like two days lose carbonation? Out I'm talking like wrong. two days. Two days, dude. Two no days, and the way. thing is flat. No, you might as well have just shook it up and then just like left it out in the sun. I can't get behind <laughs> this. <laughs> This is uh, no. That's, oh, that's just not how it works. All right, pull back. <laughs> we we need the poll for this this particular episode. All right, All right well, here we what, go. This is episode two twenty two seventeen. <laughs> two, two, and, two, two, yeah, it's Friday ever. I got it right the first time. You know what I said? <laughs> Subscribe to us on stuff. And hi, I'm Michael. Uh, who are you? What are we talking about uh, today? I'm Joe Zach. I guess. I'm Alan. I can't believe we're skipping all this. It's killing me, guys. <laughs> Don't like it. At least subscribe to us somewhere. I said subscribe. I did say that did one. You? Okay. All right. Whatever. Okay. So yeah, I'm Alan. All right. Hey. So this you want to tell us where we can be found on the World Wide Web? Use uh, yeah. keyword coding blocks. Dub dub w dot coding blocks dot net. There we go. <laughs> All right. Man, that's so painful. So, All so, right. So, yeah. What are we talking about? Yeah. Aside so, from flat sodas. Flat sodas. Oh man, you kill me. Um, although, hey, yeah, anyways, all right, moving on. So we're going to continue with open telemetry. This time we're actually going to get into some of their implementation and how you would actually set it up and use it, right? Like some of the features. Uh, so first though, we like to get into the news and outlaw. You want to read us off the reviews? Wait, no, that's, there's no news. Just get into it. We're talking yeah, about all so sad. There's no reviews, yeah. no reviews. We got to beg better. 
something. We, we might have to dedicate like 15 minutes to begging this episode. I think, I think the key is, is that like, uh, you know, if you've already left a review, thank you. <laughs> yes. Why did you only leave a review <laughs> when you <laughs> could leave multiple? <laughs> and, if, and if you haven't left any, please, you yeah. know, it's, yeah. it's the one ask. Yeah. So, all right. Uh, I'm trying to think, was there any other news? It seems like there was, but I can't. Oh, you guys saw Jimmy Buffett passed oh, yesterday. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's super sad. So everybody played Cheeseburger in Paradise or Margaritaville or something, you know. Yeah, he's wasted away in Margaritaville for sure. Yes, yes. Um, that was super sad. Uh, yeah, I can't think of anything else. All right, so I guess I guess we'll go ahead and start in. Yep. All right, so we talked about open telemetry last episode, but we mostly talked about the concepts that you need to understand to even be able to get into and 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 really know what you're trying to buy into there. So this time we're going to talk about the pieces that actually make it work. And specifically for this episode, so as I went through looking at the open telemetry things, there's there's quite a bit of information. And there's there's several sections on different types of signals. So this episode, we're going to focus on one type of signal, which is called a trace. So just to back up for one moment, for anyone who hasn't listened to the previous episode, I mean, first of all, you need to rethink your life choices. What are you doing? Go back. That's right. Also, but also, uh, we're, this is coming from OpenTelemetry.io. Yes. Right? Yes. So just wanted to like... So we've already clarified on. that it is in the, um, what was it, the incubating stage or something? And that means right. it's perfectly fine to put in all your production apps, I think is what we said. Something That's like something that. that means something to Jay-Z and to the rest of us. We're just like, whatever. Whatever. Yeah, just add it. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. It's fine. I have this I have this node module, this NPM module. I Surely I can use it. <laughs> right? <laughs> Nobody would ever turn that off. All right, so... The first thing we're going to talk about is a tracer provider. And it's exactly, if you're from the Microsoft world, you know exactly what this is. This is basically a factory for tracers. Um, so in most applications, it's initialized one time and it's, its life cycle is the same as the life cycle for the entire application. This is also sometimes known as a singleton, like a global singleton that's, that's set up. So yeah, I mean it's it's what it is it's what you use you know i know there's no relationship here but for some reason like i just had this epiphany that do you remember i want to say it was maybe the devops handbook that that talked about um the tracer bullets oh yeah and using that as like a way you know like how you would the idea being that like you would uh correct course as as you're going you don't like try to like make that perfect aimed sniper shot instead you just like spread it out there and you know just line it up yeah and adjust as you go and i got to think i was like well they called this tracer and that made me think of the the tracer bullet episode and then i was like oh i wonder if there's some kind of thing but then i'm like no no this is just tracing yeah, well, I think that even, one thing they even said in the book is, and I didn't know this, but like, I guess it's not common to have like, it's not like they're all tracer bullets, I guess. And right. it's like every 10th right. bullet, yeah. every 100th right. bullet. So I mean, that's like literally what we're talking about. It's great. Yeah. So you can see where your, where your shots are going uh, over some period of time. Um, so yeah, they also say this is typically the first step in setting up open telemetry is you're going to set up this, this tracer provider, right? And and they also say in this same setup, it includes a resource and an exporter initialization. 
And we'll talk about some of that in passing as we go through this. So a tracer, it's created by a trace provider and creates spans with more information about what's happening within the request. Now I will tell you, if you're following along in the documentation for this, it's, I forget if you go to the docs and then go to signals on the left, you'll see tracers like the very first one there. I feel like they did things sort of backwards here because they go into like these big blobs of like JSON and stuff that show you all the implementations, but then they talk about everything down below it. And and it feels like it would have been better if they had put that stuff at the end. It is super weird. It's like, this is how you do it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, when I was taking notes, I actually had that up at the top. And then, and as I went back through, I was like, man, this isn't going to make any amount of sense. Nobody's going to really know what we're talking about with this. So So we have some stuff at the end. We'll have a link to that page because once you hear this episode, you'll be able to go up there and look at it and be like, oh, okay, I get it. But also, I mean, kind of kudos to them, right? Because like they understand how we developers work and they're like, I don't have time to read your documentation. I just want the code. Show me how to use this thing. I'll figure it out. Ah, crap. This isn't working. Wait, how do I do? Yeah, Fine, I'll read the documentation. Let me scroll down. (laughs) You're probably onto something there. (laughs) So yeah, it felt backwards, but you're probably right. It's probably the right way for us. Um, All right, so the trace exporter, this is what sends the traces to a consumer. So if you think about it, you're going to be creating these traces. Well, this thing's going to export those things to something that's going to be listening, right? So you can think of the trace exporter sort of as a producer of these traces. Um, You can set it, and here's what makes a lot of sense when you think about it. You can set it up to be just a standard out, right? Like if, you just, if you're doing it for debugging purposes when you're running it locally, you can have it print to the console. That's fine. Uh, you can also have it be set to send to an open telemetry collector. So think of something... Um, I'm imagining something sort of like a Prometheus, right? Where, where a lot of metrics go type thing. That's, that's a similar type thing. Or they say they have all kinds of other open source libraries and tools out there that can be consumers of these exporters. Did we say yet, like maybe last episode, like who already supports this? Like Prometheus, I think was one that came up last episode. Mm-hmm. Maybe like on a data dog, uh, I was thinking like a, a Google uh, log Explorer. Like, does that support uh, this? Like, because I'm, I'm thinking see. of like Kubernetes, because they do have specifically a Kubernetes section in the documentation. Let so, yes. So they have. I could have read ahead. ahead. They do have uh, a collector documentation for it. All right. Yeah. So check this out. They on their site, opentelemetry.io slash doc slash collector. Um, in their opening paragraph here, they say the collector offers a vendor agnostic implementation of how to receive, process, and export telemetry data. So they they have some docs on this, and they do have some things up here. They have like an Otel collector is one of them. They have Jaeger Prometheus listed. Fluent and Bit, I, or Fluent Bit, I see, is also in there. Yeah, I was so, thinking, like I kind of want it just to pass on to it's like my normal logging framework, you know, like let me configure that stuff how I want it. Well, that's why I was asking the question. They're like, you know, because go let's rewind the clock, right? And it it's the year 2016 or 15 or whenever we did the the 12 factor app discussion, right? And one of the 12 factor app, one of the 12 factors of a 12 factor app was to just standard out everything, 
right? Standard yeah. out, standard error, all your logging. And then that way you could just rely on something else to scrape that, right? Or, you know, we're not necessarily scrape, but you know what I mean? And so, so that's why I was asking the question about Kubernetes, because that's kind of a common thing in, in the Kubernetes world is that like your yeah. output's going to standard out. So what Jay-Z said, I think like just having it go to a standard logging, I don't think that's good enough because I, my guess is the job of the collector is to correlate things, right? And we'll get into that stuff here shortly. And I think that's the big distinction between what open telemetry is doing versus your log for J or your, or your log back implementations or whatever, right? Is those are truly just messages you put out there with a timestamp, whereas the whole point of using open telemetry is it helps you tie all those things together over time. Right. Yeah. And I was thinking like, uh, you know, it's common for larger organizations to do some sort of structured logging so that all the logging from all the various services is using like common fields or common names and common levels for, you know, severity and stuff like that. And so you want all those names to line up. So I don't really want to configure my app to like try and kind of like make sure things are named in the same format, you know, like for both open telemetry and for the logging. So I just kind of wanted to, you know, some pass through. I did look and they do uh, say they have support for auto instrumenting with most popular logging libraries. So if you want to kind of have your transaction ID dumped out in the logs that you're already dumping out, then it'll go ahead and do that. It'll kind of feed into it, uh, which is pretty cool. I, I guess that the hole that Jay-Z and I are both falling into, uh, and I'm taking you with me, I'm taking you down with me, Jay-Z. Let's do it. Is that like, we're, we're automatically thinking of like logging. And so that's why we're thinking of like, I want it to go to my other, my standard logging destination source, whatever that might be. And, but this is more than just logging. Cause there's like yeah, the whole yes. metrics capability that, uh, open telemetry is trying to provide, which is where you're going. That's why you need that collector. Yes. To be able to like piece all these things together. Otherwise, how are you yes. going to do metrics on it? Well, in even past metrics, right. Just being able to create the overall trace, right. Because that's where you're going to start tying spans together, which we'll talk about here in a minute. So, so I guess the next thing is one of the big keys of open telemetry is they have this context propagation and they say, this is the heart of distributed tracing as it takes multiple spans and correlates them. And we will talk about that right now. So you have a context. (laughs) Go on. on. (laughs) So context, the context is what contains the information that allows these spans to be correlated. So, If you have, this is just an example, right? You have service A calling service B. Service A is going to have a trace ID, right? And it will also have its own span ID. So the trace ID, if you think about an overall request, you know, let's say that you did something from a a user interface, you clicked it, that's going to generate a trace ID. That thing's going to be constant throughout all these things. Service A gets hit, it's going to generate its own span ID, right? Then it's going to call service B. Service B is going to reuse that same trace ID so that those two can be correlated as part of the same trace. Service B will also have its own unique span ID because it is like its own new um, unit of work, right? If we're talking about like developing terms, but then it's going to have a parent ID that's going to point back to the span ID from service A. So now this second span, which is like a sub request from the first service, it can be tied back up. Now, here's an interesting thing just to keep in mind. I think we talk about it a little bit later as well. Let's say that 
let's say that you made the request from the UI and it went up and it hit some generic service, right? That generic service calls service A and then that generic service also calls service B. Those are more like, um, uh, what are they called? Sibling, sibling type things. Yeah. Yeah, So there's no hierarchy there, right? So service A is not going to have a parent span ID that it's going to link to and service B won't have a parent span ID. So they'll just show up as, as children of the main process, right? Wouldn't the generic so, thing be the parent then that in that scenario? It, it could be. I mean, if we went that route, it could be the parent. And then those two children um, service calls would just show up underneath it. It wouldn't be a hierarchical thing, right? Yeah. So that parent, that parent thing is what links it up and says, Hey, this was a sub request under this other thing. I think right. this is also like we talked about it similarly uh, referencing the dev tools in Chrome. And even in the documentation, they, they talk about the, the observability waterfall diagram mm-hmm. that you, that's kind of similar to what it, th- their example looks very similar to what you would see in the Chrome dev tools. And there are some of those um, calls that that you can tell are like peers of one another. They, because they're on the same level. Yep. Right. They sit beside each other. So the only thing that's apparent of them is that process that was just above it. Right. So, so if you have that parent ID in there, then it makes that new span, a child of that other span. So this is why the open telemetry collector, whether it's one from open telemetry.io or some other third party thing is important is because it's stitching these things back together for you. Right. Um, so propagation, this is what moves that same context between the services and different processes that happen. So behind the scenes, it's actually serializing and deserializing the context objects and it's providing the information that needs to be carried from one process to the next process, right? So that you're not having to do it every time. I mean, I'm sure we've all done stuff like this where we'll have some code that we've written in and we want it to piggyback off some other stuff and you have to keep passing it along, right? This is doing that work for you. Have you ever um, done like a putting out your logs, like you put out like the same three pieces of information and you want them in the yes. same order and the same. So you like copy and paste all your logs. Like, yeah, you're, you're basically recreating like a terrible version of this. Yeah, exactly. That's that's one hundred percent it. Well, I was going to say it, it kind of seems like the idea of like like another session, right? Except you 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 there's the session that you're logged in as, right? And you're just yeah. looking at this web page, and then nothing happens. But then there's like the quote session of you like clicking on something, and then that initiates a whole series of actions, right? And like now you're just bundling all that up into like this one quote session of like, right. well, that's what happened here you know, kind of thing. Yeah. It's, it's super helpful to have that view. And this is what open telemetry is creating for us. Um, so it's said that the serialization and deserialization that's usually handled by the instrumentation libraries that come with the software, right? So this is where you kind of have to be careful. So when you look at open telemetry.io, they support a bunch of different languages. However, there's certain bits that are only like fully fleshed out in like maybe JavaScript or C sharp or whatever. Maybe it's not as perfectly done in go. I'm making that up. I don't know that that's the case, but, but not everything is 100% done in every one of them. So they say, Hey, if it's not handled by the library, they also have API propagation APIs that you can call yourself. If it's not fully hooked up. 
So you still have a path to go, even if your particular library doesn't have all the functionality it needs. Man, I, I was going to say like um, where they fail in their documentation is that like, I just want, just, just give me a picture <laughs> so that I can like show this to my boss and be like, Hey, this would be cool. We should do this. Right. Because at the end of the day, like, you know, the, the higher up the ladder you go, like the more, uh, visual it needs to be right. And visualizations yeah. definitely go a long way. Right. Something sure. about like, you know, drawings are worth a bunch of words. I'm, I'm workshopping it. I'll, <laughs> I'll get back to you when I figure it out. But, um, and then, and then I don't know if you've gone down the demo path and I'm like, I haven't yeah, installed just, it yet. I want yeah, to. That's the problem is it's like, Oh, go install your own thing in your own Docker or Kubernetes. And you're like, no, I just want to see like a working thing. Show me some pictures. Yeah. But if you keep going down into the architecture of that demo path, you'll see some drawings and you're like, Oh, I'm sorry. I asked. Cause <laughs> it's a little too busy. Cause, cause the very first drawing starts off with a bunch of like, okay, here's boxes for all the services and lines are going everywhere. And you're just yeah. like, uh, who clicked hey, what? <laughs> hey, can, can we take a moment here real quick? Because I, I love that little tangent. It is really hard to do architectural diagrams that make sense. Isn't it? I mean, like, seriously, you it's, can a, spend, it's a skill. It's an yeah, art. Sure. Yeah, for sure. You can take days trying to make something. I mean, th- there was one that I was looking at the other day with, I think, some of my teammates. And and somebody was like, well, why, why is the arrow pointing to that? They're like, oh, no, it's not. It's actually behind it. It's like going through it. It's yeah. like, oh, oh, okay. Well, that wasn't obvious. Can you yeah. make that obvious? And there's like 1,200 lines on the page. It's like, yeah, I guess yeah. I can figure it out. Yeah, every yeah, it's hard. Every time I I ever like sit down like, oh, I'm gonna work on this drawing, give me an hour or you know, thirty minutes or whatever. Like I always <laughs> yeah. grossly underestimate it. And then I'm like, you know, at the end of the day and I'm like, I'm almost done. Yeah, oh. I, I hate when I'm working on one of those diagrams and like I'm you know, just adjusting the lines and I'm like, you know, this one's a little it's a little off center and you do you like move something, you're like, wait a second. I this whole thing is like off center. Like everything is wrong. Like this basically like this. What I thought is this light and nothing's lined up. What? Uh, yeah. The I problem- mean, I know, I know just about every time I've done one, like I'll reach out to outlaw or Jay Z and be like, Hey, what do you guys think about this? Right. And then, you know, it's like, I'll work on it for an hour on my own. And then I'll get some outside eyes to look at it because I think that I've fallen down into the zone of, I can no longer see what I need to see yeah. type thing, you know? The problem is though, is this, it's so beneficial to like explain to other people, like, this is what we're building. This is what we're doing. This is the new direction that we're taking, or this is how this thing works. And like everybody can immediately go back and reference it. And especially when like, as a team, you're all trying to like get on board with something new, you know, it's super helpful. If you can just like, just give me a drawing of like how this works. So by the way, under demo, there is a demo screenshots section that that's exactly what I was hoping to see of like, Oh, cool. More stuff. So yeah, I'll, awesome. I'll throw some links out here. Yeah. We'll have those in the resources. Um, oh, all right. So, so here's, here's another thing that is pretty, this is actually a very big selling point of open telemetry. So they, they have all this, this stuff that, that we're going to get into some of the details on the, 
we talked about the serialize and deserialize. Well, there's a ton of different formats that open telemetry supports, but the default actually comes from the W3C, the web consortium trace context. So they are, they are actually using a well-defined published standard for the web for the type of, of, um, formats that they're doing for this data. And we'll have a link to that there because I'm sure that if you ever want to take a nap, the W3C is where you can go to start reading. I mean, seriously. Um, all right. So with that, I think outlaw, you need to do better on the beg, sir. Wait, you're calling me out? Like I'm the problem I mean, hey, here? Hey, Jay-Z, Jay-Z, like, let's do it. What you got? All right. So, you know, we I, I guess we're out of five-star reviews. So if you have any... <laughs> you have any stars left in you <laughs> we'll take whatever you got whatever you got oh, but feel free to round up you know but we'll we'll take it <laughs> so, take your one like stars review, to round we up did the try five. To make it easy for you though so if you go we to codingblocks.net slash review and you know uh you can actually just start clicking the stars and just you know keep clicking them until until you're, you're out of them uh <laughs> hopefully you make it to five but you know we'll take it that'd be pretty amazing and if it's if it's under three, just uh, maybe just don't. <laughs> so I, I don't know. Yeah, this is a spectrum. I know it's tough. So this is why I don't do the beg. See? Oh, man. Uh, uh, well, we'll see how it goes, though. So if you like this beg, let us know by leaving a, a review. We try to make it easy. Go to cookingbox.net slash review and uh, let Alan and Outlaw know just how much you like this one. Yeah, this, is why we stopped, this is why we stopped asking Jay-Z. <laughs> I totally forgot. The crazy thing is, is like I wasn't saying that like as is – as in I wasn't going to do it or that somebody else had to oh. do it, but it worked out so well. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So like yeah. Stubbing your toe. When around. <laughs> it's amazing. So we should probably change the intro to like, you're listening to your favorite two star review show. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, all right. Yeah. There's some cool screenshots here, by the way, uh, that I, I, I put some links out there for you guys, right. but, um, they're they're showing the Jaeger UI to nice. to show that, but this is all coming from that um, doc demo screenshots portion of the documentation where they're like trying to show like how things are working, and there are definitely some um, you you were making the reference to the peer uh, you know processes in there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's it seems like it's apparent here if I'm following this right, but maybe I'm not. Yeah, that first screenshot looked good, and so does that third one. Wait, have you gone to the the DAG? Uh, That's from, what I'm looking at. I believe the load generator with the front end and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm assuming that's supposed to be the directed cyclic graph. Yeah, yeah. Ha ha ha! ha. Look who got <laughs> the math stuff. Wait, it's not math. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, not- okay. Well, so that's my trivia for the night. So, how about you guys want to play some Jeopardy? Let's yeah. do it. This do it. is Coder Parody. Coder G. Coder G. They only get sued. How how would Coder G? I don't know. It's pretty close. Coder D. Code code code. Sounds like it. Coperty. Okay. Whatever. Uh. All right. <laughs> what an episode is this? Two seventeen. Alan goes first according to, to Tutko's trademark rules of engagement. So. Uh, your choices for categories, sir, are (laughs) 
Uh, uh, you're going to have fun with this first one. Star Trek, the next generation. Oh, because man. Alan is so good at pop culture. <laughs> yeah, man. Answer in the form of an abbreviation. Ooh. The Patriot Act. Mm. With authority. So like authority, mm. but like break apart. Yeah. Yeah. That's not going to work for me. Going green. Or Pretty <laughs> Little Lies. Pretty Little Lies. Uh, the second category, whatever that one was. Answer in the form of an abbreviation. Yeah, let's do that one. A one, we'll two, go three, 300. We'll, 300 we'll do, level. Yeah, three. Yep. <clears throat> it was once largely a military abbreviation helping coordinate operations. Now it means when I think I'll make it to the kegger. What in the world? Do you know this, Joe? Uh, no. I I mean, ASAP is the only thing I can even think of. I mean, yeah, I got nothing, so you can go with his answer. <laughs> I, I will give you, I, I too, was stumbled on this one. I was thinking stat would have been my Ooh. go-to. Oh, okay, yeah. Like, I need that stat. I remember there was like an old movie that like made fun of that, where like once the boss learned to use that, then <laughs> everything, everything was that. Right. It's like, how you doing, stat? <laughs> yeah, great. All right. Well, I'm sorry to inform you guys. You both got a zero on that one. Big fat yeah. goose egg. ETA. ETA. Oh, geez. Okay, yeah. ETA. That, uh, that's good. Yep. Yep. All right. So, Joe, your turn. Categories are turning into the 90s, the U.S. Ooh. Constitution, uh-uh. world capital attractions. No. Memoirs. High nope. finance. No. Figures of speech. No. Uh, the first one. Turning into the 90s. Yes. Which level? <laughs> uh, three. <laughs> Sounds just like it. Yep. Medium confidence. Three out of five. All right. Listen, all y'all, it's a sabotage performed by this rap trio at the 1994 VMAs and blowing the roof off of it. Listen, all y'all, who's the Beastie Boys? Beastie Boys. Doggone it. Beastie Boys. That's right. Beastie Boys. And Joe is on the board. Man. Alan. Can I I get a turn into the 90s? (laughs) Yeah. Well, I tell you what, I'll give you these I'll give you these categories instead. Maybe you'll like these better. You ready? Let's see. Medieval architecture. I could almost I almost couldn't get that one out with a straight face. Classic (laughs) TV. Directional geography in America. I swear I did not like pick these. These were their ones already there. Out of this world. And this one is pick a quote card. C-A-R-D will appear in each response. Dude, give me the last one for one. <laughs> or, well, the last oh, one is one. The Chase, and it's uh, Brad Rutler of The Chase. It's his show, and that's his category. So I don't know that you're going to want that one. but I don't want that one. The next to last for one. <laughs> Take a card for one? Yeah, the card for one. Yeah. And I would have I totally picked classic TV. I don't know about you, Joe. I that's... That's the way yeah, I for gone. sure. I mean, what Blue Acres like, I, or what is that the name of it? I it can't was remember. Green Acres. Green Acres. See, there you well go. Well, before our time, and Mr. Uh, Ed, no way we're going to know that one. <laughs> Thanks, Mr. Ed. I knew, I would know all those. 
Is he? Yeah, no. Because of Nickelodeon, right? Leave it to Beaver. Yeah. The card. Card for one. All right. Here's this rapper. I don't know how we're going to do this one. Is this a visual? Oh, here's this rapper. Where? Wait. Yeah, because I think there's a link there. Oh, man. How's that going to work? Okay. I can give you a link. Oh, wait. No, the link isn't like- there. Dang it. <laughs> Uh, I don't know that you're going to get this. I'll say it. And if you don't know it because you don't have the visual, cause it's a visual one, then we'll move on. Here's we'll this rapper wearing what could be described as Bodak yellow. So no, Oh no, there's no way I could. Yeah. yeah I gotta see him. All right. Let's do two, two. Okay. okay. To the U S government, it's officially known as a permanent resident card. And it's got card in the answer. Green card. Bing, 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 bing. Yeah, I was like, man. We have a tie game. Look at this. All right, we go to final, Jeff, final blockerty. Who's the the Bodacula? Oh, uh, it was Cardi B. I'd have never gotten that. Nope. I thought there was a chance because uh, that was the only reason why I said it because I was like, well, it's rapper and it's card has to be in the name. Cardi B. I, I, I don't know what she looks like. Okay. Okay. She's right behind you. Okay. So here's your final, if here's the final question. Um, wait, how are we going to do this? How did we do the final? We're going to ding in. One of us will ding in. Oh, is that how we did it last time? Yeah. That's how we're doing it this time. <laughs> <laughs> okay well i mean you know because i think that it was in your favor to go for no i guess it wasn't because this would be in the fourth round yeah yeah 19th century people so put on your thinking caps because here we go oh, wow. wager it all <laughs> in 1863 walt whitman wrote that this politician has a face like a hoosier michael <laughs> Hoosier Michelangelo, so awful, ugly, it becomes beautiful. 1863? Mm-hmm. In 1863, Walt Whitman wrote that this politician has a face like a Hoosier Michelangelo, so awful, ugly, it becomes beautiful. Abraham Lincoln. And that is the correct answer. You didn't buzz. That's why I was going to say. Ding! <laughs> but I have to ding you because you didn't answer in the form of a question. Uh, <laughs> it, was, it, it was Lincoln. Yeah. Yeah, baby. I'm on a one game, one game winning streak. Easy for you to yeah, say. So, uh, the drawings. Ah, uh, the drawings. So, uh, so Okay. I was just joking about going to the drawings, but oh, okay. It does it does quite visually show you though what the spans look like if you if you go to that those screenshots to see and like like you couldn't already do this in Chrome DevTools, but it's you know now you're seeing what it shows how it looks in Jaeger. Excellent. All right, so now we're going to get into the like more the nitty gritty type bits of the information that go in. So spans, we've mentioned it quite a bit, I think even between the last show and this show. So we talked about the traces and all that, but spans are kind of what make up the meat that goes into these traces. So they represent, like I said earlier, a unit of work or an operation. They are the building blocks of the traces. Without them, you basically have nothing. But here is the important bit of information that that comes into a span. You have the name of it. This is a friendly name that you give it, right? Like 
shopping cart or ad item or whatever, you name it, what you want it to be. In their example, it's the uh, path to that particular API call. Like so, whatever that web, you know, so like in their example, it's slash V1 slash sys slash health. Yep. And it, it can be that, or it can be whatever you want to put in there. Like it's truly up to the developer to, to provide what they want that thing to show. Um, the parent span ID. Now, if it's a root span, like this is the very first span in the entire trace, there is no parent ID, right? So that indicates that this is the top of the, of the chain. Um, the span context, this is going to have some more information in it. We'll get into that here in a second. It's got a collection of attributes. It's got span events, span links, span status. And the last little bit here is that I mentioned it earlier. They can be nested, right? So you can have spans that are nested under spans. And if you have that, then basically you have a child operation. Wouldn't, wouldn't the other spans parent ID be the previous span? So in the case of nested spans, I, I don't know. Um, it might be that you can actually put the span inside the span in your code. I don't know. I'm not sure how that'd work. I, I think when you have the parent span ID, it automatically links it together for you and builds that tree out. I don't know if it's saying here that you can actually embed another span inside the span that you're working on. You know what I mean? It doesn't, it doesn't look like you would. It looks like from looking at that sample that the, the parent span, if it was a span within a span, it looks like it would just be the parent ID would be the other span. It'd be linked. Okay. Because like looking at like you called out the span context context, for example. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of weird. Cause like some of those other things that you caught out, like there's specifically a name value pair or yep. property in this JSON for that thing. Right. Like the span ID or the parent ID. But in the case of the context, there's not, there is okay. no, there, at least in the example that they gave, there is no span context object. Okay. Okay. So here then let's get into the span. context. So what we talked though. well, what we talked about just a second ago, remember was the span. So the span itself can have the parent span ID. Oh, now when we're talking about the context itself, these things are completely immutable. Like once this thing is set, it cannot be changed. So it contains the trace ID the unique span ID for that span. They also talk about trace flags. I'm not exactly sure where this comes from. I'm guessing that the collector or something kind of builds this, but it says it's a binary encoding containing information about the trace. It has the trace state, which is a list of key value pairs that can be, they can be vendor specific, right? So like whatever that vendor decides to put into the trace state, they can. And this data inside the span context sits along the distributed context in the baggage, which we're not talking about those in this episode. I think Jay-Z brought up baggage in the last episode, and we'll be talking about that here in the near future. So I did want to close the loop, though. It it does. I was, I was right. Span, it says spans can be nested as implied by the presence of a parent span ID. Okay. So that's perfect. That's so, what we were talking about earlier. And like that span ID is part of the span context. So that's why I was saying like, there is no like one object or property in the JSON for it. Like it is, it's a collection of things. Okay. So by the way, I I did look to see uh, like what those trace flags, like what kind of stuff there might be in there. And uh, it looks like right now, the only thing it supports is a a flag basically saying whether or not it's sampled. 
So whether, you know, okay. it's one of a whatever or not, but they're leaving room there for uh, other additions there they might have in the future. Okay. Um, just like did metadata. We, did we talk about sampling in the last episode? I don't think we did. Maybe. I don't think so. Well, I mean, we, I, I we think probably did. We probably covered, maybe we covered sampling as part of like the, the Google SRE book or something. Maybe. I mean, I don't know when we'll cover it in this, but but open telemetry does support sampling so that you can do it randomly. You can do it based off conditions. You can do it based off all kinds of things. Right. So, so that, so that if you have like a million events coming through in, in a 10 minute period, you don't necessarily have to be adding trace logs for all of them. Right. Because it can, it can actually be a little overwhelming. They do have something like that. I don't remember if it was for traces or if it was for metrics, but like I said, we'll, we'll come back to that here in the future. Well, there's a blurb under the sampling portion of the documentation that says the idea behind sampling is to control the spans you send to your observability backend, resulting in lower ingest cost. Okay, perfect. So rather so than sending like, like if you were thinking about Google, for example, right? Like they're not going to want every click from every single user around the world being ingested into this like uh, open telemetry system so they can see what's going on. So they might say like, you know what? Just give me every like, 10,000th click right on this particular thing, right? They're just getting or, a sampling of it. Or if this particular criteria was met or whatever, right? Yeah, like yeah. so that they can get the interesting thing. So yeah. Um, excellent. All right. So the attributes that are part of the span. So these are key value pairs that are used to carry information about the operation it's tracking, right? So it can basically be whatever you want it to be. Um, they did use an example in there. So you might have the, if you were in a shopping cart, you might have the user ID, the item ID that was added to a cart and the cart ID, right? Those are all reasonable things that you would add to the span. Um, there I think are we some should rules. recommend about not putting the user ID in there. <laughs> Cause that seems it, like it funny. would be a disclosure of information you w- might not want. It's funny when I saw that, I thought something similar, like, Ooh, is this PII type stuff? Um, I, yeah, I don't know. It's tough. Uh, well, for the I, record, I don't think they included that in their documentation, did they? Yeah, it was in there. Oh. Yeah. But, you know, I don't know. Sometimes you have it in your logs, so I'd assume if it's in your logs, it's probably safe to go in here. I mean, you'd have to be careful about it. You, you know, know your user data and whether or not it's important enough to keep that stuff out of it. I'd keep um, it out. <laughs> yeah, probably. They do have some rules. I mean, so to to Outlaw's point, you could probably keep that out and you could probably, if you needed to at some later point, you could look up that card ID, you know, programmatically and figure out, you know, who it was tied to or something like that. You know, there might be other ways to do it where you're not burying that stuff in logs. Um, your keys cannot be null. That makes sense, right? Like, why would you have a null key? doesn't really make sense to have it in there. So this is kind of interesting. Would JSON even allow that? I never even thought about that. Like, why would... I don't know. Well, remember, this isn't necessarily JSON, right? Like these are serialized objects and whatever framework you're using, whether it's oh. C sharp or yeah. I, I guess mean, because they, their sample is in JSON. I just assumed right. that, you know, yeah. it was JSON across all the things. Yeah. They show us it JSON. By the way, it, it does not. Key. Yeah. Cause that wouldn't make sense. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't. I mean, it doesn't yeah. nothing makes sense. Just equal this value. <laughs> Yeah, Nola out in the middle, just hanging there. Nola's five today, right? Yeah, I I don't. It doesn't make sense. Values though, they must be non-null strings. If you're going to have a string, a boolean, a floating point value, an integer, 
or an array of any one of those types, right? So you can have an array of strings, but they can't be null strings. So um, it is interesting that they call these out specifically. And it then works here's, in the browser, by the way. Does it really? <laughs> yeah. If you had a dictionary or or um, a collection with a null as a key? Yeah, and I could do like, you know, my collection uh, brackets null and get my value back. That's fun. <laughs> I'll do that. Yeah, JavaScript for the yeah, win. Of course, <laughs> of course, JavaScript. She's like, eh, whatever. Yeah. What yeah. You, you probably that? meant to do it, and I'm not going to judge you for doing it. Right, right. So here's one thing that's really cool, and I like this, and I think I even had a link. I do have a link to it. So they have semantic attributes for well-known attributes that you should just use, right? So these are standardized across systems. So. Um, I had I had a couple examples here. So like under general attributes is what they called them, which I thought was interesting. There's a server.address, a server.port. Um, for databases, there is a db.system, a db.connection string, which is probably also not a great thing to put in there. But, but they do have a whole set of these things. And we'll have a link in the show notes to where if you just decide to use this stuff, Yo, leverage those things because if you do, then any other software that you're integrating with it, whether it be Jaeger or something else, right? Like they may have special reports and views set up for these types of things, right? Like that's the beauty of using a standardized set for these. Wonder. Um, I would be curious to see if like their connection string. I mean, I don't know. Did they have a sample? I think they just named it. I don't think it was in there. Well, it does say it is recommended to remove embedded credentials. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. This is, this is, uh, like just generally speaking, right? (laughs) Yes. Whenever some entity, be it a person, company, whatever, puts out like, Hey, here's some free code or whatever, or here, like, here's, here's like an example of how to use this thing. But it's like, you know, they give you like an insecure thing by default, like, or, Mm -hmm. or, you know, some kind of bug, like, you know, it's going to be hard. People are going to be hard pressed. Like, like you'd have to go and like dig through the documentation or to know like, Oh, this might be a bad idea. Right. You could, you could easily see where like, uh, you know, a junior developer, like, you know, first job, right. Might think, Oh, Hey, it, I can log the connection string. Right. Sure. That sounds, that right. sounds like a great idea and might not, it might not dawn on them at the time that like, Oh yeah, that could also include credentials. I, I kind of wish that they didn't include that as part of their like standard attributes. And instead it would be like, instead of even like risking that, like they would could possibly recommend that you do that. I think that they should take the, you know, secure by, you know, by default kind of posture and instead say like, okay, you can log the database, uh, you know, host that you're connecting to. Right. Um, and, and, you know, maybe it's like some kind of specific protocol or whatever that you, if you had to use one, but like, don't just have this blanket connection string where you can like potentially risk putting information in there that you really don't want to. Well, I, I'd even to add to that, like the next one, like if you're on this page for the database um, connection level attributes, the semantic conventions, the next one's db.user. Yeah. I would also argue that you probably shouldn't even have that in there because if somebody, a bad actor gets into the system and they find these logs, 
then they already have half of the information, right? Like they now know, okay, well, here's the server host. Here's the username. All I got to do is try and do some sort of fuzzer or whatever to try and, you know, some sort of dictionary attack to try and figure out how to get in there. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it, I guess this comes with more senior level um, experience with this type of thing where you're just like, Ooh, yeah, I don't think, I don't think I want that in there. Yeah. I really think those two, I think they should remove those from their recommendations of like, here's some like common ones, but you know, even, even the port, even the port is something that you look at and you're like, Ooh, yeah, maybe not. I, I mean, I, I can get behind some of these though, because at some point you're like, well, you know, the, the whole thing is logging. Like you're, you're trying to log like what's going on. Right. Right. And, and and not only log it, but like, you know, the telemetry, like there's metrics behind it and all that kind of stuff. Right. So, so at some point you have to just say like, okay, well, if you've gotten into here and you can read this, then you, you might already have too much access, but like, you know, the ability to like scan ports and whatnot, then, you know, because you're already telling them that the DB system is identifying what the type of database is. So like SQL server or Postgres. So you're like, Oh, well Postgres is typically on 5432. Right. You know? Right. So I mean, some of those I'm okay with, but like the, the pat, the, the fact that like, you know, it's just, it's not even the first sentence. It's the second sentence. It's recommended. Not even right. Right. It's not even like you should, or it's not even in bold. It's just, it's recommended. You should should include the connection string. Right. It bothers me when like, things get put out there into the world. They're like, you know, insecure kind of recommendations and you got to dig for the details. It's like, Oh yeah. But that's my rant over. It's, it's difficult. Hey, hey, one other thing to call out here though, is it's not just these top level attributes that they have these conventions for. So like DB dot system was one I called out. Well, they also have a whole list of DB system, um, you know, constants, I guess we could call them or whatever that they, that you should use, right? So if you're using no. Microsoft SQL Server, it should be MSSQL. Uh, if you're using Apache Hive, then it should be Hive, whatever. So so it's not just the top-level key. They might also have a value that's supposed to be in there um, for these logging things. And again, who knows what they're going to be used for by other tools or whatever, but just be aware that they're out there. Yeah, because, I mean, like, the problem that, you know, not to harp on this too much, but, like, the problem that I have with this, like, even if you have, like, good actors in your company, right. That are going to, that would be reading some of the output from this thing. Right. You know, one of those people could become a bad actor as soon as they feel, uh, you know, slighted. Right. Um, you know, and then you have the inside insider kind of threat type of situation. Right. I mean, it happens all the time where like an employee leaks data, right. That that they shouldn't have. So that's why I'm like, "Eh, I really wish they hadn't said that one. So if you're using this, don't don't do that one. I, I will say though, I mean, we haven't gotten this far. I don't know that I've even seen anything in the docs yet. I think that the information that you'd be seeing in in a lot of this output is probably something that you'd want locked down a little bit. You know, you wouldn't want necessarily anybody to be able to get to these um Yeah, but very also- detailed logs, right, that are tying everything together. You'd probably want to lock that down to a certain group of people that are, you know, troubleshooting production or or whatever the case may be. But even if okay, even if you are troubleshooting production and it's your own app, that doesn't mean that I want you to know the credentials to get into that database. Never be in there. Yeah, they should never be there. Right. And the connection string would have that. And and that's what I'm trying to make is the point is like it's your application. Like, but you know what I'm saying? Like in a large enterprise 
even it might be your application. That doesn't mean that you know the credentials. It doesn't even mean you get to touch it when it makes its way to production. It's all done through automation. So, you know, I definitely don't want to leak, you know, oh yeah, by the way, here's the credentials that you cannot use and I'm going to trust you. Hey, now in fairness, you should not have your credentials in your connection string either, right? Like almost every well, database system sure. on the planet gives you a more secure way to connect. So, you know, maybe that's a smell that you should look at too. All, Fair. You know, just calling it out. But but his point is 100% valid, right? Like when you're logging stuff like this, you want to be careful about what's actually making it into the logs. All right. So. Hey, the next section, again, these are all parts of the span, right? So the next one up is span events. So this is a structured log message or annotation on a span that is usually for a meaningful point in time in the span's duration. So this is important to call out. So a span has a beginning and end, right? Let's let's say it was some sort of shopping cart request, right? Like it started one second ago and it ended a second later. That's the span. The span event is more like if you have a log that has a timestamp on it, right? So they gave examples of this to sort of help separate it in your mind. Um, and these are both to deal with web browsers. So tracking a page load, this is a perfect example of a span in action because it has a start time when you started to load it and then an end time. That's when it finished, right? So it could have been a second later or whatever denoting when a page becomes interactive. So if you've, if you've worked with any of the latest JavaScript in the world, right? The, your page load, but you can't click anything, right? Like, I, I don't know. It, there's a million websites that come to mind, like the page is there, but you can't actually type anything or do anything yet because all the JavaScript isn't ready. That is a singular point in time where it's like, you know, we have enough, stamp it, it's ready to go. And, and a lot of times this is a metric that'll be used by people who, who make websites to say, Okay, my page load took five seconds, but the user could actually start interacting with it half a second in, right? Like that's fine to them. So good example of the distinction between the two. Um, span links. So this, again, also falls within a span. This one was a little bit less clear to me, at least reading the documentation. Um, I think I got it after it was all done, and, and maybe maybe this will translate well to you. So this allows you to associate a span with one or more other spans, indicating a causal relationship. Now, the reason why this wasn't super clear to me is because I thought the parent thing was it, right? But I'm guessing this is more like, hey, there's other spans that are doing things that are sort of related to this, and you can only have one parent, right? There's only one thing that sort of spawns you as the next line in the span, Whereas this allows you to link to other spans and saying, hey, you know, I'm a, these were all part of some of a similar operation. And they gave an example is you have a system that queues actions based off other actions in an asynchronous manner. Okay. You don't know when the queued action will start. So you create a span link that can correlate these spans over time when the asynchronous event occurs. So in my mind, something like you, you added something to a Kafka queue, right? There's something, there's a consumer out there, or maybe many consumers out there that are listening for those events in that Kafka queue. And at some point that's going to cause some other process to kick off, right? That's when the span link is created so that you can say, Hey, you know, this, this thing was because of that. So okay, it, it seems to be an asynchronous thing, more or less. 
You know, I'm glad you, you said the causal, causal, causal. relationship yeah. because at first, like as I was like trying to follow along and like read skim over that real quickly, I saw it as like casual. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of a relaxed relationship. And I was just like, okay. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, yeah. Um, so these are optional, but like I said, they, they can be a good way to actually associate things. It wasn't necessary. And I guess the asynchronous Nate, now that I've repeated it after I've taken the notes, it makes more sense to me. So service a calling service B service. A is the parent service. B is the child that makes perfect sense. However, if I just put something in a queue, I don't know what's going to act on it. Right. I have no clue what the next actor is because I didn't call that next thing to run. I stuck it in a queue. Something decides to process that message in the queue. Now you have that causal relationship. The consumer is what knows that this thing had a span on it. And you can say, Hey, I'm going to link to that. Right. So that makes more sense to me. It really helps to think about this one in the frame of mind of like, a large system. Like if you're still thinking like a browser web page kind of example, right? This, this is more difficult to like wrap your head around in my mind, but using the queue and the Kafka example that you gave, you're like, well, I don't know which broker or which system, which, you know, like a flink, like you might have a flink, uh, you know, task with like a lot of parallelization. I don't know which one of those task managers is going to like take that particular job on. Right. And so now you want to create this new, trace with the span link to say like, Oh, I'm starting because of this other thing that happened. Yep. And, and to make it even, I guess, even a little bit more complex, but to demonstrate why this is powerful, the span link is powerful is you insert something into a Kafka topic. The whole point of Kafka, we've talked about this a little bit in the past is it's sort of like your backbone for, for triggering things with any type of system that wants to integrate with it. Right. So you might put a message in your Kafka topic and it might be that Jay-Z's program is going to do something with that message. Outlaws program is going to do something with that message. And my program is going to do something with that message. So now you can actually have three span links back to that one thing. And it'll show that, Hey, there was multiple things interacting with the same message that got thrown into a stack. So it's it's pretty it's a pretty powerful thing now that I look back on it. What you don't realize though is that my process is basically like the Wario of, of processes here, and it specifically <laughs> looks for your two processes and does a kill on them. So right. It snipes them. That's good. Yeah. That's beautiful. All right. Yeah, so. I guess so. Yeah, you know, like it's possible that the queue gets paused for days. Even you know, yeah. so it's kind of weird to think about keeping that span open because you've got a child out there still. Right. And you can't, right? Like you couldn't keep that thing open forever. And that's that's one of the things they call out is well after the thing has finished producing, right? That span has closed, quote unquote, these links can still be created. All right. So okay. the next thing that we have up, were you about to say something about it? Nope. Yay, no, nay. All right. I guess you if you're maybe if you were to think about this in terms of an order or the e commerce kind of example, right? Like the mere fact that you shipped something like that whole process, like the spans and traces that it could create, like maybe you could link those back to the initial, it could be a span link back to the initial. I'm, tr- I'm trying to like make this tangible. I, I actually like that a whole lot. I mean, if you, I believe years and years ago, I believe that the way that Amazon operates its order stuff is it, it does go into a queue, right? Oh yeah. Basically. 
so that they can do reprocessing, right? If something fails when it tries to hit that thing in the queue, it can go back to it. Um, so it, it's, it's a perfect example. You place the order, that thing has its lifespan is going to end in a few seconds, right? Like it's done when it gets picked up in the queue, whether it's today, tomorrow, whenever it can create a link back to that original order thing, which is, I think, beautiful. Or, or maybe you're a visual and you remember the fifth element and you knock the glass off the table and the little robot comes and vacuums it up. Oh my God. I do not oh remember gosh. that. I thought I remember that movie, but uh, now, <laughs> now I don't know. It, it was the whole thing where, uh, who, who's that actor? Gary Ullman, I believe was that Bruce Willis. No, no, no. That, that played the, the uh, antagonist in the movie. Um, and, and that. he, he was going on this whole speech about like, uh, you know, these things have their whole reason for being is to like, you know, that little robot's whole reason for being was to clean it up. And so by him creating the mess, he was giving that robot purpose. Okay. Dude. His memory, or I guess it wasn't any, really. I, it's incredible. Well, I, it was I actually like a little animal. Think, Dude, for, right. for anybody that hasn't been with us for a long time on this, on this journey of 10 years of episodes, outlaw has the most <laughs> incredible memory for movies and shows that he watched, you know, 20 years ago, cause he's only 21. I've, I've never in my entire life. I don't know. 20 or 36, you know, whatever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's been a while. It, it's unreal. Like he remembers full on GI Joe episodes from his childhood. Like how, <laughs> how, how does that happen? I don't know. You know, okay. Tangent <laughs> alert, tangent <laughs> alert. So here in the Atlanta area, one of the big events going on is, Definitely Dragon Con. Like that's absolutely what did what, you just that's what you were going to think when I said that, right? That there was totally, something big going sure. on in Atlanta. Yeah. And and so we're at the parade this morning watching watching the the parade and everything. And like as you know, like different things would come by, I'm like doing quotes from the movie, you wow. know, and like there was one uh there was like a whole coming to America uh group, nice. you know, going through the parade and everything. And like I rattled off some quote, and the guy next to me was like, "What?" <laughs> right? That's great. I was like, "Coming to do, America." Do you remember the? Do you remember like the baby? He's got his own money. No, and when I say no. he's got his own money, I mean baby, he's got his own money. No, <laughs> no. you don't remember that scene? No. When did you last watch that movie? See, this is this is the key here to understanding. I honestly, I couldn't tell you, but that's it what was I'm saying. McDowell, it's not like he watched it last night. It's when McDowell realizes that, uh, who, who's McDowell? He, like, he was the, the, the dad that had the, the restaurant that was like not McDonald's, right? They didn't have the golden arches because that would be, that would be copyright. Um, it's ridiculous. I'm but, telling you right now. But uh, yeah, I mean that. Like all, all, everything you said there is completely foreign to me. Yeah. He 100%. when he realizes when he realizes that uh, Akeem is actually a prince, and he like sees one of the the uh, paper money that you know from his country that actually has his prince Prince Akeem's face on it. That's when he's like, "Baby, he's got his own money." There's a whole scene like I don't. Yeah, near I'm the end of the movie. That. Fast forward, you'll get there. <laughs> Eve remembers where in the movie it is. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, I know that there's a movie. I can't even <laughs> tell you the plot. Like, you know, and I've seen it. Like, I feel like I've seen it more than once. Even. Yeah, I have too. Right? Like, it's Eddie Murphy. You yeah, don't that, know the I, plot. Know. Come on, you're just you're. 
I feel like I'm I'm being egged on here. Like you, this is a joke. No, like, no, no, it's not a joke. No. I can't tell you the plot of shows I watched last night. Yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> All right, I'm starting a new show. Hey, hey, for what it's worth, um, Hard Knocks. I, I love Aaron Rodgers. Like he he might be one of my favorite people on the planet now. So yeah, you should watch the latest season of that. Even though you guys don't like sports ball, so. Anybody else out there who actually cares at all about football should watch the latest season of Hard Knocks on HBO. All right. Back to it. Back to it. Sorry. Okay. I remembered that because I watched it last night. It'll be gone in a week. So, you know, here we go. Span status. So this one's pretty interesting. Again, going back to the span, this is a subsection of attributes on that. It's attached to the span and it can be one of three values. So this is pretty easy. It's unset. This is usually what you want to do. You don't set the span value. You just leave it be. It can be error, which in the case that in your code, in the section that's going to be adding to the span, if you actually caught an exception, you would set the span status to error to let it know that there was a problem, right? Like that's on you in the exception code to do that. And then there's okay. So the back end that processes this. And I assume this is going to be the open telemetry collector, whatever that thing is, it should set this for you as the final status, assuming there was not an error, right? So let's say that you had 10 spans in your, in your request, all of them had unset statuses at the very end. It's going to say, Hey, the status was okay. Right. My assumption is if you had those same 10, um, statuses and one of them was set to an exception, then my guess or error, then my guess is then that span status at the very end will be set to error, right? So just know that this is sort of wrapping it up and putting a bow on it for you at the very end to let you know if this thing succeeded or failed for some reason, which I think is another benefit of this, right? Yeah. All right. Uh, let's see. So now we have span kind. This one's good. It's for all span kind. This one's <laughs> kind of interesting. <laughs> um, one small so, step. That's right. So I actually like this. Do you one remember that quote? No, I'm just kidding. I, I do remember that one. Um, so this one, this one's useful for the context of how things are happening as they go through a span. So when a span's created, it is created with one of the following types. It's either a client. And a client represents a synchronous outgoing remote call, right? So if your web browser is making a call to the web server, that is your client call. Now, this it says it represents a synchronous outgoing remote call. It doesn't mean that it's not asynchronous, right? So, and this is, it sucks that they kind of had this overloaded tech or method or talk in there. It just means it's not being queued for later processing, Right. So think about a web, your web browser, you make an async call to your web server. If that thing is doing some action right now, like reading your name out of a database, doesn't matter that the call itself was asynchronous. It's the fact that you made a call that was waiting on a response from the server to do something right then. Right. So that's a client, the server. It rep- if, if the span kind is server, then that represents an incoming synchronous call, such as an AT- HTTP request, right? Standard type stuff that we've talked about a million times. Internal. These are operations do not cross process boundaries, things like instrumenting the function, right? So you have this big function in there and you're setting um, timers to find out how long things are processing. That's all internal. 
doesn't require any external stuff. A producer, span kind, they represent the creation of a job that may be asynchronously processed later. Things like messages sent to queues or handling of events. So that was like what we were talking about. If you were throwing a message into Kafka for, for a topic, then you are a producer, a consumer. This is something that represents the processing of a job that was created by a producer and potentially starts well after the producer span ended. So this is like what outlaw was talking about a little while ago with the shopping cart example, right? Like, Hey, you placed your order that went into a queue. Whatever picks up that record in the queue to process later is a consumer. And what they said is these types provide a hint to the backend spam processor as to how these things are supposed to be assembled. And when it says that, like, that's a very generic, vague statement. My assumption is it's going to sort of show things in order, right? So they, they said right here, based on the open telemetry specification, the parent span of a server span is usually a remote client span, right? That makes sense. Somebody did something in the browser, it hit the server. So that client span was one, the server was two. The parent of a consumer span is always, 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 always a producer span. So my assumption is it's going to take these and stitch them together in an order that will make sense for you when you're, when you're trying to view the output. You know, the way I interpret this whole thing is basically like, Think about like if I wanted to create a, a, a database system, right? That you could query a, a relational database specifically, right? That you could query and I, and I need to get data in for it, right? And in order to do that, though, like I'm going to have like all these other systems that are going to be, you know, dumping data into it. So I have to give you like some kind of a structured format that I want the data in. And that's the, that's what this is the mm-hmm. all, all this talk about spans and the tracer and all that, like that is the span is the structured content of the data. And I'm going to then use span IDs and parent IDs and whatnot to be able to like do those relational lookups to say like, okay, here's everything with this parent ID or, yep. you know, and you know, maybe I like do some recursive CTE to like get all the, you know, uh, nested ones, you know, that, yeah, that's what I mean, this that's what this sounds like to me especially when you talk about the um how did you refer to it a moment ago the the span um not consumer uh the span processor or whatever i think is how you said it i think I was so. thinking a second ago like because you're basically like imagine imagine if i gave you this like let's let's keep it in json format for the time being if you cap it in um json format and you're just dumping all of these records out there, right? Like, you know, some other process is then going to go and, uh, you know, assemble all that together into this quote database that I was talking about. And in this case, like it could be Jaeger or whatever, right? Like that's, you know, and they're from their screenshots, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. But that That's the way I'm, I'm interpreting this in my mind. I, I completely agree. I mean, if, if we go back to the span links where we talked about things could be asynchronously thrown into a queue and then picked up later, like I would imagine if it was Jaeger or whatever, if you went to that UI right after an order was placed, you're going to see that the order was placed. If you were to come back tomorrow and look at the same thing, you'd probably see that the order was placed and that it was picked up by something, right? So, so that, 
that spam processor is going to continually stitch things together as it gets the information so that your view of these events over time might actually grow, right? Because there's going to be more things that are adding values that that spam processor is going to put together for you. The only problem that I have with this whole thing though, is that, um, Open telemetry has its own baggage, which pff, I'm just kidding. If you look in the documentation, there's like literally another uh, another section called baggage, which I'm assuming would just be a way to like add, uh, you know, you're dumping your own per- information specific to whatever that thing is. But I just kind of found it funny. Like, yeah, of course, we've got our own baggage. So, uh, yeah, so we'll have plenty of links in the resources with like section for uh this episode and open telemetry and all the goodies here, um, including the screenshots that I was talking about are going to be in there. And with that, we head into Alan's favorite portion of the show. It's the tip of the week. So I had none. Jay-Z. No, I said your, your lips are moving. Yes, my bad. Um, I can't hear what you're saying. So uh, I went from having <laughs> zero tips to three tips and uh, two of them are totally stolen. Uh, the first one, uh, by the way, uh, these stolen from our comment section on the website, uh, codingbox.net. Uh, so the first one is from, uh, I'm going to butcher this, I'm sorry, uh, Alexander Andreeski, according to Google. Uh, and Andre, sa- or sorry, Alexander says, if you're interested in tldr.sh, which I was, I think, the outlaws tip of the week last yep, week. Yeah. There is that a I faster got from the Slack channel. Yeah, so we're we're gonna do one more evolution on it. So uh, there's a faster implementation uh, in Rust that uh, is an open source project. We'll have a link there in the show notes. Uh, but it's, it's pretty cool. They call it TLDR, you know, like TLDR, mm-hmm. TLDR. Uh, it's just written in Rust, and um, I was surprised to see that they've got a comparison chart of uh, various libraries that all implement TLDR. I guess it's kind of a popular thing to. Uh, right and so uh, let me see here uh if i if you click this link and look at the chart i think the um the speeds are pretty interesting oops uh so i kind of blew out your second tip there yeah i messed up the notes sorry uh but um there's a speed comparison of just like various languages and the fastest one is zig uh however uh it doesn't support all the features it's missing a, a rather large large one for user configurations uh, so that one was kind of funny, but it's mean uh, time for 50 runs of, uh, you know, this test data is uh, 9.1 milliseconds. I'm going to compare that to the slowest one listed here, which is the node client JavaScript, which is 400 milliseconds. Which is Huge the one difference. that was like by default. That was the most stable implementation from the uh, the project that I talked about last time. I'm assuming wow. that's the one that they're referring to because um, yeah. at, at least from the the dot, the dot, the TLDR SH documentation they referred to using the node implementation as being the most stable. Yeah. Complete. It looks like they're they, um, the, like the bottom, the bottom three are all like official implementations. So for the one for C uh, Python and node and the C implementation is 38 uh, milliseconds. It was just kind of crazy to see like just how far off it was from, um, from Zig, but TLDR is the second fastest one, but it does actually uh, have feature parity. And its mean time was 13.2 seconds. So I was surprised to see that like there so many people have kind of taken this on and, and written their own implementations of it. I thought it was really cool. So, you know. But can we talk about the real elephant in the room now? Sure. What the heck is Zig? Right? <laughs> yeah. You know, I've seen it around. It's like one of those kind of 
like cool languages that people do stuff with like hacker news like if you do your startup in zig like you're gonna hit the fourth page you know it's, it's wikipedia says it's an imperative general purpose statically typed compiled system programming language designed by andrew kelly but yeah i'd never heard of this one well, I, like, I feel like anytime I, I, there's a language that's like somewhat popular i haven't heard of it's based on lisp so let's see no i mean it's, it's intended it's to be a replacement for c with the goals of being even smaller and simpler to program and while also offering modern feature, new optimizations, and a variety of safety mechanisms, while not as demanding of runtime safety as seen in others, other yeah, languages, cool. that is. I, yeah, I mean, it looks nice. I would have a hard time doing it. Like, I feel like Rust has at least earned its wings at this point. Like, it, yeah. it lasted more than a year or two. Yeah. Like, I could, There's a I, lot. Yeah. A lot too. Like, just not even just the language, like the ecosystem, like onboarding, like uh, organizations need to use this thing so I can actually use it in the future. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I've always had a hard time with this. I mean, we've talked about this with JavaScript frameworks in the past. Like, I remember when Aurelia looked really nice, but it was like, man, there's like, yep. there's like 10 people using it. Like, I can't. Nope. I mean, I'm That's looking. Of, sorry. Go ahead. Nope. Go ahead. That's one thing. I was just gonna say it's not enough to be a little better than the, your competition. You got to be a lot to get people to switch. A lot, yeah, a lot, lot. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm looking at the the language page for it. It looks it looks interesting. I'm not gonna say that it doesn't, but in my mind, I was kind of thinking like, okay, you know, you could totally bring this in to a repository, like in a large, you know, like let's say you're in a mono repo kind of culture at like a large enterprise you could totally bring this in and you know like have a docker kind of builder that like bakes in all the their dependencies for you but you know then like you have to come along to support this that you know alan introduced it and didn't tell anybody and then jay-z's right. like oh hey there's this thing wait what am i looking at <laughs> yeah. yeah i had a small change to make and now i'm learning a new language thanks right yeah and this thing is three years old. Yeah, that's that's like I hope this takes off. I, I mean, it sounds like it's got some pretty cool, uh, you know, ideas behind it. I just don't. I, I, I'm surprised that there's already an implementation for TLDR. I know crazy. in this language that just came out. Well, actually, so I take it back. It's older than three years old. It looks like it became official in 2020. If you go back and look at the release tags on the on the GitHub, its first release tag 0.1.0 was October 2017. So it's been around a little bit, but it looks like it started. Years. Yeah, it, it gained some traction in 2020. Became it, it it became official, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, and I, I don't want to shoot it down. I mean, it may no, be no, absolutely no. amazing, right? Yeah. But, this is the type of thing where like. I would strongly recommend in your personal projects, that, you know, that you're working on, like experiment like that. Play with it. That experimenting with other languages and whatnot and, and tool sets in your free time is like the whole thing that you should be targeting with your free time. In my opinion, don't like just introduce a brand new language into your work environment without yeah. like it being yeah, a conversation. Don't do, don't do that. Like that should be a decision. People would be angry. <laughs> How sad would it be though if, like, fifty years from now, hundred years from now, people are still using the same languages? Because otherwise, you know, well, JavaScript well, will be here fifty yeah, years from now. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I mean, 
that's why I'm saying like, I hope that this thing, I, I hope that it, yeah. you know, things like this succeed, you know, like I, I'm, I'm wishing it well. I'm not, I'm not trying to say don't use it at all. Oh yeah, for sure. Yep. Yeah. I hear you. Hey, a hey. second tip. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, no. I was going to say your second tip is, is yeah, pretty sweet. Tip. Yep. This one is also uh, from the coding walks uh, comment section uh, from the last episode. So Mark Crawley wrote in and said, Hey, uh, did you know, that you can just do control shift escape and it's going to pop open that task manager. I didn't it's great on windows and it's super nice because usually when you're going to the task managers, cause you know, you got a problem, things are going slow, things aren't working right. I hate when I do like control all delete and I got to wait like 30 seconds for like the lock screen and then 30 seconds for task manager. It's like, by then I just wish I hit the power button. You know, so it's <laughs> nice to be able to just do this and go right where I want. That is hey, for what it's go ahead. That is a super old shortcut though. Like is it way 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 back decades old Windows shortcut? I did not okay. know this. Hey, and for what it's worth, I always do Windows R and then just run Task MGR. Right, yeah, that's, that's good. Yeah, but the whole point though is that like, what if you what if the system's locked up to where you can't even yeah. get to? Yeah, because yeah. No, because really the Windows R is going to bring up a run dialog that is part of Explorer, and if Explorer right. is the thing that's that's choking. Uh, control shift escape is going to bypass that because it's going straight into the event loop. That's so it's so just going to be like, oh, spawn up the task manager. Yeah, I like it. Yep. Here you got one more for you. Uh, so this one is about a game. Now this is a this is a niche tip. Um, you know, if you're out there and you hear this tip, uh, you're gonna it, you know if it's for you, you're gonna know it. But there's a new video game out called Sea of Stars. Just came out a couple days ago. And uh, it, it's a Neo retro game. Basically, it's it's kind of like a new game in the style of uh, golden era of Super Nintendo Famicom uh, action RPGs, like specifically Chrono Trigger and Secret of Mana. This is like a, a kind of a genre of game that has kind of, you know, the world has kind of moved on by, you know, move on from. And there's not a whole lot of stuff being made kind of in the style. And so it's really cool to see uh, something that kind of came out that like, it took very direct inspiration from, and those are like those two games I mentioned are like super popular. There's people out there that, you know, love it. And, uh, you know, 30 years later still will call those games, uh, some of their favorite games. So it's kind of cool. And I, I'm a big fan of anything that doesn't have like grindy battle passes or weird mobile ads or whatever. It's not like going to be super hard. It's like, it's just a cool game. So if you uh, appreciate that era of games, you like the the music. They actually got the the composer who did a lot of the music from uh, Secret of Mana and um, was the director and did all the music for Chrono Trigger and a bunch of Final Fantasy games and other stuff. Uh, so it's just kind of cool. So if you hear the word Chrono Trigger and your you know the hairs on your arm stick up, whatever, uh, then you should check out this game. Uh, I also uh, for fun, it's pixel art. You know, whatever. I, I looked up the minimum requirements. And it's a GeForce uh, 520. I forget what the and the other one was, the Radeon. But I looked at like that's literally like the only, the cheapest video card you could buy. You can get it for fifty bucks and just toss them in. It's crazy. Um, so basically, you just need to have some sort of video card to be able to play it, and you're gonna be fine. It's basically like a Super Nintendo game or Super Famicom game. It's that uh, uh, cool. I always forget what that perspective is called. The Diablo isometric. 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 Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know what this reminds me of, Jay-Z? So you mentioned two of the popular SNES games from back in the yeah. day. Did you guys ever have a Sega and have Fantasy Star? Oh, so good, yeah. Sega Dude, Genesis? I yeah, no, no. Sega was Genesis. Was it the Genesis? No, this was the Sega Master System I think Fantasy Star was on. Yeah, those are great games. Dude, this is what it reminds me of. So, you know, going back to that, like, I, this was my favorite type of game when I was a kid. Yeah. 
So, yeah, I may actually buy this for the Switch. Maybe get my yeah, kids to play there. it. Uh, excellent. Yeah, it's been cool. I like it. All right, so I've got two. Uh, the first one, I can't even really tell you a ton of information about it because <laughs> I haven't used it. But there was a conversation that came up recently about fuzzing applications. And if you don't know what that is, it's basically where you just start trying to throw garbage at functions or methods or APIs or something, right? And see what happens, right? See if you can blow it up, see if it still functions, see if it crashes in a spectacularly bad way, whatever. That's fuzzing in general. Um, Jay-Z, I think you've done a little bit more research. Is there anything else you'd add to that? No, I haven't. I haven't looked into it, um, but I mean, it's a good idea. But uh, fuzzing is a is an interesting topic. Like, there's a lot of uh, kind of gotchas and kind of caveats and kind of things. Like, one one thing that's kind of funny we were talking about recently is that um, the difference between a uh, fuzzing test like not working, you know, not like not even running at all, and it passing is like kind of negligible. Like, because you know, right. ideally, you're uh, you know, the fuzzing test is going to come back and tell you that, you know, nothing, nothing bad happened. And so it's kind of funny. You can misconfigure it, type the URL wrong, test, you know, nothing. And it'll come back and be like, yeah, it's good. It's so, fine. Yeah. No, it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's painful, right? Yeah. For that, for that reason, like you really have to know what you're doing when you're, when you're setting some of these things up for that reason. Well, the reason I brought this up is if you are somebody that, that is trying to test things in a cluster, and it's not clear to me based off this tool from Google. It's called cluster fuzz, which I love the name. I think it's probably one of the reasons why I had to put it out here. Um, it's not clear to me if this is a Kubernetes only thing. I don't think it is. I think you can set this up in any kind of server cluster. Cause they said that you can use like 300 VMs or something. 30,000, so 30,000 VMs. Okay. So I, Again, I'm not exactly sure how this whole thing is is configurable and all that kind of thing, but it looks like you can turn this loose in a cluster of VMs or maybe even a Kubernetes cluster or whatever and have it fuzz applications all over the place. So I'd have to do quite a bit more reading, so that's why it's a tip of the week for anybody that's looking into fuzzing right now. This might be a useful tool in your tool belt. I can give you nothing else beyond that. <laughs> It does seem to be very Google Cloud. Uh, I hate to say specific, but I mean, like, it, there's definitely a bunch of places in the documentation where they were referring to Google Cloud Project and Firebase build um, buckets. I yeah. haven't seen anything yet specific to Kubernetes, though. Well, they have pictures. So if you go to the architecture link right off that top link that I have, architecture link on the top. So the very first the very first page that you go to, right underneath cluster fuzz at the top, there's an architecture link. And if you look at that, those look very Kubernetes specific, some of those things there. Yeah, the, the icons. Yeah, sure. So I don't I don't know, but that might be a VM and not a Kubernetes thing. And that's why I'm like, man, I don't know all the Google icons well enough to be able to decipher this. Oh, you um, don't remember how this game works? <laughs> right. The one with AWS. Well, that uh, that's the compute icon underneath fuzzing. Okay, so that might be just VMs. It might be Kubernetes or VMs. So so at any rate, yeah, this this looks like for anybody that's needing to do some large-scale and scalable-type fuzz testing, this may be something that you want to take a look at. Okay, so it is Google-specific. It 
ClusterFuzz runs on the Google Cloud Platform and depends on a number of services. Compute Engine, not strictly necessary. Fuzzing bots can run anywhere, so why did you put it as a requirement that it depends right, on? Yeah. App Engine, Cloud Storage, Cloud Data Store, Cloud PubSub, BigQuery, and StackDriver uh, logging and monitoring. No mention of Kubernetes. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. So, you know, uh, if you have a chance to mess with this or if it's something that, that sounds interesting, you know, take a look at it. And then this one was awesome. So this came across on X or Twitter or Twitter X or something. It came across the other day. I saw this. C Sharp now has a foundational certification that you can get for free. So um, we've had people email us many times like, hey, should I do this? Should I do this? Should I try this? Whatever. Hey, you can go get a foundational C Sharp certification where it looks like Microsoft has partnered with Free Code Camp. And they, I forget, I think it was something like 30 hours worth of, of material, 35 hour C sharp training course hosted on Microsoft learn. So you can go up there for free, do a 35 hour training. So a week's worth of work roughly and go take a test and you can actually get a certificate saying that you completed the course and you understand the foundational bits. So, you know. I'm pretty good with Photoshop. So they put a sample of what the certificate looks like. So if you want one, just hit me up. I can uh, fill in name here. Outlaw for the win. Going out there. Fiverr.com slash outlaw. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even think about that. Jay-Z always looking for the angle. That's right. So I thought this was super cool, right? Like, I mean, there's, there's tons of courses out there like, um, Udemy. I mean, Jay-Z and I have talked about Udemy in the past. I think, you know, Outlaws has gone in there too. There's all kinds of stuff out there. It's really good, but it's really nice to see that Microsoft is really providing for the developer community. Hey, you want to learn how to program? We'll show you how to do it on our stuff for free. Just go to take the course. It's up to you, right? Love it. So those are my two. And we'll have links for both of those things in here in the show notes. All right, so uh, with that, subscribe to us. No, I'm just kidding. It's my turn. <laughs> um, okay, so one I thought was kind of a hee-hee, kind of funny one. So uh, one of our peers pointed out a site called There's an AI for that.com. And it immediately reminded me of like, do you remember the old uh, iPhone commercials? Like, there's an app for that. Mm-hmm. Well, oh yeah, there's an AI for that. So, hey, you're having right. trouble with uh, coming up with the name for your next website? There's an AI domain name generator. <laughs> what? Like some of these are just crazy. Yeah, uh, you know, you're having trouble with your your music taste. Well, there's one that like uh, will critique music taste assessment and critique. So you know, maybe if you if you were having problems, you know, with your yourself uh worth then that one can like you know make you feel even worse about yourself um, yeah. amazing hey hey real quick so uh, that reminded me of another one i have to throw in here do you want me to do it before or after your next one okay do it after but i was going to say like i don't know how this one can be uh even legal because there's a legal ai that seems scary but yeah you know oh, man maybe I use it. you use it <laughs> Well, there's an AI music generator. So yeah, the point is, is like, uh, if you go to, there's an AI for that, there's a chance that you might be able to find an AI for something that, uh, 
you you need. You want a you want a professional headshot for your online profile. There's an AI headshots for that. So I don't know like how it could make this look any prettier than it already does, but apparently I guess it does. I don't know. So go check it out. There's an AI for that, and then I'll do my next one after Alan with this quick word from our sponsors. Yeah. Okay. So because of this one, it reminded me of another one that we probably heard on this, on this, the same thing that he's, he got this one from. There is a thing called chatbot arena and I'm going to put this uh, right here. So what this is, is they've tried to rank how well various chatbots do at answering questions, right? So you got chat GPT, you have llama, you have, I forget what the other ones are. There's a bunch of them. There's Claude GPT, Vicuna. There's tons of them. At any rate, if you go to the link that I put there, you can ask a question in that main tab. So the, the battle, if you ask a question, it'll, it'll spit out a model a and a model B. And then you can choose which one you think did a better job of answering the question, right? And then when you do that behind the scenes, it's going to store that and basically say, okay, well, when he asked this question, then we saw that this one did better. So it's kind of a blind A-B test, right? But then if you look at the very top, if you go to leaderboard, you can see where it scored everything. And so you have these MMLU scores, which is like the fourth column over and the second column, also the arena ELO rating. These are all described up at the top of the page. But you can see how well people have scored these things in these blind ABs saying that, you know, I think this one did better than this. And I I forget. I want to say that there was some sort of disclaimer that ChatGPT is sort of like the creator of this thing um, or, or whatever. But behind the scenes, it's supposed to be based off these blind AB tests. And you can see GPT-4 is at the very top of the list. And it's pretty good but then this Claude one Claude instant one Claude two those are right on its heels so i mean chat gpt isn't the only player in town right i think is what it boils down to but um yeah i don't know it, it's fascinating did i i i chose i so i put a different link out there because yours included a, a query string parameter uh and yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Mine would never load based on that. So I wasn't sure like, is this the link you meant? Uh, hold on. Let me see. Yeah. I think when I clicked on leaderboard, it added it to the, Oh, that's weird. Okay. No, yours is better. Just replace mine with yours. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, so yes, I thought that was super cool. Like when you said the AI thing, I was like, Oh yeah, that was, that was something really neat. So, so definitely check that out. It's pretty, pretty cool. Okay. So then, uh, there's an AI for that was my hee hee one, you know, funny, funny, but a serious one though. Um, and you know, there were some others on our, on our team that thought that this was a super helpful one. So I thought I would share this with everybody else. But if you've ever like in your Kubernetes type of environment, you're like, wait, which version of the, of my Docker image are you running? Like what's the tag for that? And you would think that it should just be available in the description. Like when you describe the pod, right? You could do a kube cuddle describe and think that it would be there. Mm-hmm. Unless I'm blind and missing it, I've never, I never see it there. And that seems like such an obvious place for it. But if you do a kubectl get deployments dash O wide, so output uh, for in wide format, 
it'll show you what the Im- the uh, image with the tag that is deployed for each deployment. Super helpful if you're trying to debug something. Oh, great. And you're like, wait a minute. I thought this deployment had my stuff and does it or does it not. And, you know, if you're if assuming that you're able to see, you know, based off the tag, uh, you know, so your mileage may vary there depending on how you tag your Docker images. But, um, you know, if you ever wanted to, if you're in that situation, like I was where I'm like, wait a minute, I thought that my code was deployed. It doesn't seem like it was what version of this Docker image is, is running. Then yeah. this is a, a quick and easy way to do that. Yes. Yeah, nice. Most excellent. You're muted again, Jay-Z. <laughs> I feel like, do I need, can I like mute him for him? So I could be like, nope. So like, see, he's going to try to talk right now. And I so badly wish I could mute him. Cause then that'd be super hilarious. Hey, check it out. I actually did. I actually did mute him. <laughs> That's pretty good. Sorry about that. That's pretty that. good. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Uh, hey, for what it's worth, we thought haha very much. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. What were you gonna say about it? Uh I don't know. I just thought it was a good tip. Uh, uh. oh yeah. Good. <laughs> uh, oh uh, I remember what it was. Uh, so with the uh did, I, like this is something I, like I somehow forget and remember all the time and like it goes in circles like maybe even like a couple monthly basis, but um you can uh exec into deployments uh and it'll just pick a pod. So uh, I used to have scripts that would like get a pod name for me and just I would get the pod name and I'd shell into it instantly. But you can actually just exec and you just have to do deploy slash deploy name. And that way you don't have to look up the hash at the end. Oh, that's like very cool. Yeah. Oh, that's a pretty I didn't cool know one. that. You should put that in there as a tip of the week. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, either. I was looking at a readme last week and uh, the person who did that and I was like, oh, you know what? Let me let me update these. And like it's it, it was a fairly new uh, edition. I want to say like a couple last couple of years to Kubernetes uh, to Kubectl API. Uh, it's super handy. Yeah, I'll put a, an example in there. I, I gotta tell you though, like I can't imagine going back to a non Kubernetes world. Oh no. It's, 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 just, it's painful going there, oh, right? It's it's painful when you're in it too. I'm not gonna <laughs> lie, but you know, like the ability to have everything about your your uh, data center is now like in code. Yeah, even though amazing. it is painful to like get through like all the networking and whatnot. I mean, it's so much more powerful. So, like, so to tag on to Jay Z's tip. You know, you can also do a cube cuddle logs on a deployment and you can see the log output for all the pods in a deployment, right? So the, yeah, the shelling is pretty cool. Yeah, it won't get hairy at all. I mean, fortunately, they usually tag which pod it came from, whatever the log. So it may not be the most useful thing in the world unless you're just trying to see if it's actually operating, like all of them are in a good state. But yeah, so it's so cool. The exact, I mean, maybe you don't know, but like, does it, um, Look at like which one has the least CPU utilization, maybe. Oh, I don't know. Because I uh, that I, would be a good idea. Because the reason why I asked that is like when I do shell into a pod, I'll I'll like look to see like okay which which of this particular you know deployment type that I'm looking for, which pod is being utilized the least, and that's the one that I want to go dig in. I want to go use because like. You know, if the other ones, because like, I'm typically playing around in like Kafka related ones, so I don't want to like, you know, any brokers or connect 
instances that are being heavily hit by, you know, whatever the, the stream is that's happening at that time. I'm like, okay, you know, let them be. I, I just have, I just want to poke around at some topics. I love yeah. that outlaw is a good custodian of whatever yeah. he's using. It's very thoughtful. It's very kind of you. <laughs> I don't do that. <laughs> I don't think I've ever looked. Like, You're just like, you know, pod one. And- right, yeah. I would, honestly, I would shell into all of them and like run my command on all of them just to see which one's faster. Just to, you know, I don't care about them. <laughs> care about me. Okay, well. Uh, Outlaw's like, oh, wait, he's at 30. He's at 28. We'll go with 28. I'm like, yeah. I don't even care what these guys are doing. I'm going to see which one I can get into. <laughs> You guys. Gotta go fast. Uh, that's amazing. Well, because like if you start, if you like Kafka, if you use like a Kafka cuddle to, and you start consuming a topic and you don't like start filtering out your results, right? And you just like get this endless stream of stuff coming out to standard out. And you're like, no, 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 control C, control C, control C, control C. And it's like, uh uh-uh. uh. I'm busy now. I know I'm in it my won't loop. stop. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, so th- that's why I'm like, okay, let me, let me take a moment to like, not, uh, <laughs> abuse anyone that's already being heavily hit. All right. Well, um, if you want these tips and other crazy tips, you should probably subscribe to us. If you haven't already, uh, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you like to find your, your podcasts. We hope we're there. Be sure to leave us a review, um, three stars and up. You can find some helpful links at www.codingbox.net slash review. If you also, if you've only left one review, Hey, guess what? Now's the time you, you have the opportunity to leave a second one. And why would you want to deny yourself that opportunity? Right. Feels like that. Good. Yeah, really? It would like you would feel good. And that's just going to put good karma out there for you. So I highly recommend it. I've already done it like three times while we were recording. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing holding you back is you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so while you're up there, make sure you check out our show notes, examples, discussions, and more. Hey, and if you haven't already, go join our Slack at codingblocks.net slash Slack. Yep, and uh, follow us on X Coding Blocks. It sounds like drugs, but I'm talking about the website. Uh, <laughs> I can't get behind this name. <laughs> X going to give it to you. Yeah. Have a website too, codingblocks.net. There's, uh, you can leave comments, and uh, yeah, we appreciate that. It was really great. Tealder. All right, so thank you very much. Have a good one. Peace. <laughs>